Happy Resurrection Sunday, City Church. Hey, I just want to welcome everyone who is watching us online, as well as welcome everyone who is in a house church this morning uh, for our Easter house party. I'm hoping that today brings you encouragement. I know Easter Sunday, again, for the second year in a row, looks different, but hey, we are still gathered together. Uh, We're able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm hoping today as we wrap up our seven series uh, that it just edifies you and that ultimately we can just stop and reflect and remember the sacrifice and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Um, Before we dive into that, though, I want to give everyone a building update. Um, And so if you don't know, it's kind of been a crazy season with the building, Uh, but we are uh, all squared away. Everything is at the Attorney General's office, and we're literally waiting for the Assistant AG to sign a piece of paper, send it to uh, the title company, and then at that point, we will be cleared for closing, and we'll be closing within 14 days of the title company receiving that letter. And so I'm excited. Also, for our For the One building initiative, just want to give you guys an update with where we are. And so our goal for the whole project is $185,000, and we are making headway. Uh, As of this past week, we are at $107,250 and 97 cents. And so I just want to say thank you all for your generosity. Our plan is still to start construction uh, and remodeling on May 1st. And so um, I just want to thank you for that. Uh, Another thing with it is, is this upcoming week on social media, we're going to be dropping a new video that we would love for you guys to share, as well as a link to a new page on the City Church Albany website. Um, And so we actually want to give you guys kind of a first look uh, at this new video about our building, the mission and the purpose behind the For the One Building Initiative, uh, and just to where you can share with your friends, because it is happening, um, and we're not too far off from it, and I cannot wait to see what God does uh, through a building that is simply just a resource, but a resource that we get to use for the glory of God. So check out this video. It's impossible to truly know and love the heart of the Father, yet be unconcerned about the heart of His people. The Lord is building something breathtaking, both here in New York State and beyond. A family of families with a collective heart that yearns to bring Him glory, yearns to do our part in ushering heaven down to earth. A community of all ages, races, and backgrounds standing together in unity under Jesus, willing to put aside our differences and give of ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters, for the sake of justice, unity, and healing that our world so desperately craves. Let our passion for being a living sacrifice be the fragrance of our worship. This is our prayer, that we would be an instrument orchestrated by the hand of God to reach the lost, that our earthly culture would be wholly and completely transformed into His kingdom culture, sold out for the mission of his gospel. We will see masses of people living on mission to reach the one, the one who is far from God, the one who is an outcast to society, the one who is overrun by the destruction of this world, that we would see prodigals coming home, broken dreams rebuild, and shattered lives restored. As we prepare a space to call home, we can't fathom the amazing things that will take place within these walls, the leaders that will be raised up, the lives and communities that will be impacted. 
We can hardly contain our childlike anticipation as we consider the endless possibilities. While we are grateful for this resource, we must always remind ourselves that the church is much more than brick and mortar. The church is the people united under the banner of Jesus Christ to make an impact on this world through the revelation of his grace and his love. This is our prayer, that it wouldn't just stop with us, that God would develop a passion for the next generation within us, that he would give us wisdom to effectively equip the next generation and for them to take our mission farther than we ever could. A global reach beyond our imagination, partnering with our spiritual family from around the world. This is our prayer, that we would see people as Christ sees them, that we would see the cities as Christ sees them, that we would pursue the mission with open eyes and open hearts, overflowing with his spirit, that we would be the church in her simplest form, a church that exists for the one, for the glory of God above and for the one who is far from him below. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. Amen. So, hey, isn't that awesome for the one? I'm excited to see the kingdom of God manifested here in the city of Albany in New York State and beyond um, through our church community. And I just love what God is doing right now. So today, if you're just tuning in, it is Easter Sunday, uh, and, and today's message is, is prevalent to Easter Sunday, but we're also wrapping up a collection of talks that we've called Seven, where we're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus through the Gospel of John. And today we're going to be looking at the I Am statement of excuse me, I am the resurrection and the life. And to kind of give you a little bit of backstory before we dive into it, if you got your scripture, you can turn to John chapter 11. But the backstory uh, about this I am statement is very, very crucial to be able to understand. See, Jesus had three really good friends that were siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They weren't Jesus's siblings, but those three were siblings. And Jesus had a deep of love and affection for this family. They grew up together. They spent time together. Um, and, and even you, you read about them in some of the other gospels about, about Mary at the feet of Jesus, washing uh, Jesus's feet with her, her tears. And he spent a lot of time at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. Uh, and there, it's in the city of Bethany, which is uh, roughly two miles or so outside of Jerusalem. And so where we're going to pick up in this story or in this event is Jesus's is actually off with his disciples uh, a few days traveling away, uh, and Lazarus ends up getting sick. And, and so Mary and Martha, they end up sending notice to Jesus, and, and they send notice to Jesus that, hey, uh, the, the guy that you love, Lazarus, your friend is sick. We need you to come. We need you to come. And so Jesus says, okay, we will come, but we have to wait two days before we can go. And, and his disciples were like, well, what do you mean? We, we kind of need to go. Uh, and, and then one of the disciples even threw up, wait, you, you, we're, we're going to go back to Bethany? They were just trying to kill us. Um, and, and so uh, 
there's this kind of this tension where uh, Jesus in Bethany is not liked by some of the people, some of the religious leaders, and they were trying to kill Jesus and his disciples, but at the same time, his friend is sick. And, and so after two days uh, more on Jesus' journey and ministry, the disciples pack up and they start headed to Bethany. Um, and it takes them a few days to get there. And by the time they arrive to Bethany, they find out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And that's where we're going to be picking up um, this, this story or this event in John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse uh, 17 and read through verses 27. Uh, and then we'll kind of go back and talk about it a little bit. But it says, now when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to go meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, and this is our I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus, she said to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ and the Son of God who is coming into the world. You know, I, I think that it's interesting um, kind of what's going on in, whenever Jesus shows up on the scene. And a part of Jewish custom, Jewish tradition, it's still practiced to a degree today, is that whenever someone in a family would die, um, would pass away, the whole family would gather around and they would essentially lock themselves in this house to go through a period of mourning uh, for, for roughly 30 days. Today, that is still practiced, but instead of doing 30 days, they just do seven days. And, and, and they would get together, and they would remember, they would cry, they would laugh, and they would reflect, and they would allow healing to come through this period of mourning. And so right now, Lazarus is in his tomb, and they are in their four days of mourning. And, and you see here, you have Mary and Martha. And Mary was always the one that was pursuing Jesus, was at Jesus' feet, was kind of breaking the rules, so to speak. And Martha was doing the religious thing in her relationship with Jesus, making sure the house was prepped, everything was taken care of. Um, many of you have probably heard, uh, you know, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Are you one that's just going to sit at the feet of Jesus or are you one that's going to do the work for Jesus, right? Uh, and, and so here in this time of mourning, Jesus ends up showing up, and Mary wants nothing to do with Jesus because of her sorrow, because of her grief. And Martha's the one, the rule follower, who says, no, I'm going to break the rules, I'm going to leave my family, and I'm going to end up going to Jesus. And she, she meets Jesus as he's walking into the town, and there's, there's three essential things that kind of happen throughout this story, and that's what I want to break down if you're, you're taking notes. Uh, the first thing that you you see is in their conversation, Mary ends up bringing up the past with Jesus. In, in verse 21, um, Mary says this, 
I'm sorry, Martha says this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Meaning, if you had done this, if you would have been here, if this would have taken place, if you would have been present in this moment, we would not be experiencing this pain and this suffering that we are experiencing right now. I just want you to reflect on your own life for just a moment. How often in your own life have you said, God, if you would have blank, then blank. God, if you would have done this in my life, then I wouldn't have been going through or dealing with the issues that I'm dealing with now. Or God, if you would have been present whenever I was experiencing this hardship, then I wouldn't be in the financial strain. Or God, if you would have healed my father, then he wouldn't have passed away. Right? There's multiple times in our lives where we look back and we say, God, if you would have, then you wouldn't have. And I think the big question, if we could just be honest with ourselves for just a moment, that we've all asked, and essentially what Martha is asking right here, is how can God be so loving, how can God be so good, yet we experienced what we experienced in our past? We experience hardship, we experience pain, we experience hurt. How is it that a good, loving God can do that. And that's essentially what Martha is saying to Jesus right here. But continuing on in, in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. This is, this is one of those things that it's the right thing to say, right? It, it's like, how's your day going? I'm blessed and highly favored. Or God is good. Some of you just said it all the time. And all the time, God is good, right? And, and so this is one of those things like, but if you ask from God, I know that he will give you whatever it is that you ask for. She isn't saying this with a lot of conviction, so to speak. And we're going to see that there's doubt that creeps in in just a few moments. Um, but, but she's just kind of saying, I, I know that you're Jesus, you're the Christ, and if you ask anything of God, there isn't a deep conviction. And, and so what happens next is Martha then jumps to the future. This, this story shifts and, and goes to the future. Uh, starting in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And, and so Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again. And her response is, Jesus, I, I know he's going to rise. I like at the resurrection of the dead, he's going to rise again. We're all going to end up rising again. Anyone who is a follower of Yahweh, anyone who is a follower of Yeshua, of Jesus, is going to end up rising again. And so what, what she says is theologically correct, but she's missing what is happening in the present. She's missing what Jesus is wanting to do in the present. And so first, she looks at the past, and then she looks at the future, saying, yes, I know that this will happen. I know that we will rise again. I know that we will experience peace. I know that we will experience a new life. And, and this is what Jesus' response is. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, though, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, what Jesus is doing right here 
is he's inviting her into something. He's inviting her into a revelation, into an understanding. And her response is, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, what she was missing, though, is the light of the world, the hope of the world, The deity of God was standing right in front of her. And he was wanting to completely invade this situation. And and so what happens is uh, they keep having a dialogue and the, the famous passage of Scripture, the shortest passage of Scripture, Jesus weeps. Jesus ends up weeping and mourning because of everything that he's seeing. And then in verse 38, it picks up. If you guys would, jump with me to verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. It was a, I'm sorry, yeah, it was a, it was a cave and a stone lay, laid against it. And, and, and so you see Jesus is moved, and so he goes to visit the tomb of Lazarus right here and, and continues on. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, Martha the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And actually, um, the King James Version says that he will stinketh, literally, he will stinketh because he's been dead for four days. See, in Jewish culture, there was this superstition that the the spirit and the soul would kind of hover around the body for the first three days. And then on the fourth day, that's whenever the soul had gone into heaven. Um, And and so Jesus showing up on the fourth day, uh, him him going and saying, hey, um, I'm going to invade your space right now. I want you to roll away this tomb. Is going against any kind of superstition that people may have. It's going against any kind of norm that people in this culture would have had. And then in verse 40, And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And, And so here you see Jesus starts to speak to Martha's doubt. Jesus starts to speak to what is going on, what she's wrestling with inside. He had just said, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother's going to live again. Your brother's going to live again. But she was missing what Jesus was trying to say. She was either looking to the past or looking to the future. But she was missing what was happening in the present. And Jesus, even in her doubt, is so incredibly tender and merciful to her, just gently reminding her, Martha, did I not tell you that today you're going to see the glory of God? Continuing on in verse 41, and so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on the count of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had heard these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I could just imagine this. They rolled away the tomb. Jesus is standing there. Everyone's probably thinking, what on earth is this rabbi doing? What is this teacher doing? And he starts praying, and then he looks at the tomb, and who knows, maybe he stretched out his hand And he says, Lazarus, come out. 
And could you just imagine the doubt? Could you imagine the um, questioning that was going on in the audience that is watching this? The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen straps and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let him go. So first you see Martha brings up the past. And then you see they quickly jump to the future. Meanwhile, Jesus was trying to reveal his deity, that he is the resurrection and the life in the present. Oftentimes in our life, we look back in our life and we say, what if? Or we look forward in our life and we say, what could be? And we start dreaming about what could be. And we miss what God is trying to do in the present in our lives. Jesus wants to. Jesus desires. Jesus longs to invade the present in our life. But could you just think about this? Here they are, day four of 30 days of mourning. Day four of of anguish and crying and tears and sorrow that's going on. Jesus invades them in the middle of their mourning. They roll away the tomb and he calls a dead man who has been dead for four days to come out. Could you imagine the moment that Lazarus starts walking out and they unwrap him and people see his face and oxygen going into his lungs and his heart beating? What happens at that moment is all the sadness, all of the grief, all of the anguish, all of the sorrow, all of the tears in a moment turn to joy, turn to hope, turn to relief, turn to Jesus. What Jesus does here is Jesus brings the hope of the future, the hope of us going home, and he brings it into the present. He brings it into the present. And I believe oftentimes in our lives, that's what Jesus wants to do. We're looking back into the past of what could have been, or we're looking towards the future of what it may be, and Jesus is sitting here trying and desperately willing to invade into your present situation, into your present life with his resurrection and with his power. It's his resurrection and his power. Jesus makes it very clear. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the power, and where I go, dead things are brought back to life. You know, this happened just shortly before Jesus would walk into Jerusalem, and Jesus would be betrayed by Judas. Jesus would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would be brought to Caiaphas's house. He would then be brought to Pontius Pilate's palace, and he would be executed by the voice of the religious leaders to be crucified on a cross under the sentence of Pontius Pilate. He would have nails driven into his hands and into his feet, a crown of thorns placed on him. He would be anguished with his his lungs literally filling up with blood until he cried out, it is finished. And in that dark hour, all of his disciples, all of his disciples started to turn away and go back to what was before they met or before they had met Jesus. Three days later, three days later, bright and early, the Son of Man, the Son of David, our King, rises from the dead. 
And you see right here how this story of Lazarus, him invading the life of Mary and Martha and all of the people in Bethany, that that is simply just foreshadowing what Jesus is about to do for the entire world. His resurrection, his power. And we believe this. We believe this because we have eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of Mark and eyewitnesses of John and eyewitnesses of Matthew. And scripture even says over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. This is the bedrock and the foundation of our faith. His resurrection, his power. And so, I don't know where you are in your present situation. I know many of you are in house church right now. I'm sure kids might be running around in the other room. They're wanting to go do an egg hunt. They're wanting to eat chocolate. But I don't know what's going on in your home. I don't know what's going on whenever you're driving to work throughout the week. I don't know what's going on whenever you're laying down in the middle of the night. But maybe it's time that instead of looking to the past or looking to the future, that we invite Jesus and his resurrection and his power into our present, into a moment of surrender, into a moment of saying, God, I need your help. You know what's awesome? Whenever we say, God, I need your help, God, I need your resurrection power evident in my life, the Holy Spirit answers. The Spirit of Jesus dwelling inside of us literally answered. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead answers whenever we are in a need, whenever we are in a place, whenever we are experiencing whatever it is that we are experiencing. Maybe, maybe this Easter season, we need to start praying for the miraculous in our life. Maybe we just need to start praying for a miracle today. A miracle in our family, a miracle in our finances, a miracle with our unsaved friends, a miracle with maybe a child who's gone astray, a miracle that Jesus and his resurrection power would be evident in our life. And that's my challenge for you. As a church, we've been praying for miracles. As a leadership team, we have been praying and believing for miracles, and we are seeing them. We are seeing God answer prayers through his resurrection and through his power. And so my challenge for you, my challenge for myself as well, especially with us having to still be distanced, we can't gather as a large group, is that this Resurrection Sunday, we would stop, we would remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but we would also remember his resurrection and his power, and we would start believing and praying for a miracle in our life. And here's the thing about the miracle. The miracle is not primarily for your life, but it is for a testimony so that someone else can actually come to life. When we pray for a miracle, it is so God can get all glory. And as God starts to do that miracle, as God starts to do that testimony in our life, people will start to see around it. And just may be that your miracle, your miracle, through his resurrection and his power may be the very catalytical thing that allows someone to come to life in Christ. And maybe you're listening to this and you're in a house church or you're watching on YouTube or church online or even Facebook and, and you're sitting there and you're saying, Michael, that's great, but I don't feel like I have that relationship with Christ. Man, I wanna challenge you, give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ 
and surrender everything over to Christ. And it's very simple. I just want to invite you in a prayer. And it's, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. There's nothing special about the prayer. It really is about the heart posture that you have, the heart posture that I have. Or maybe you're watching this and you're in a house church and you've been dealing with stuff and you feel like you've, you've led astray from Christ. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to just re-surrender and to take whatever it is that you're dealing with and to invite Jesus to invade your present situation, your present life with his resurrection, with his life, and with his power. And I want to challenge you to do that. You know, as we wrap up um, this message and this series, we want to take just a moment and reflect on some of the incredible stories that we have heard here uh, even through the pandemic and, and before the pandemic. But we want to just put some of these stories of God's resurrection and God's power in, in, the, in the life of people in our church community before you. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to go to a, a time of just hearing some stories about God's resurrection and God's power. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to be able to celebrate you this Resurrection Sunday. I thank you that you died but that you didn't stay in the grave, that you rose again, that you are the resurrection and the life. And Father, I speak to every person who's listening to the sound of my voice, God, and I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring your resurrection power into the present, that you would invade our lives in the present and speak to us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. challenges for 2020 i mean clearly i'm sure a lot of moms parents can attest to being at home with your kids <laughs> i'm sure everyone knows for me it was definitely frustrating and challenging at times but at the end of 2020 i could look back and say wow like we did a lot together and that for me was you know really i i guess in ways memorable yeah, it was it was great to have time to spend with the kids. Whereas prior to all of this, uh, I'm just the kind of person who, when I'm not working, I'm looking for things to do. My relationship with God has changed in the last year. In that, I'm always a doer. I'm always, you know, ready to do, to create, to make something happen. Right, and ultimately, it's Him who gives me. <clears throat> the ability to create and to do the things that I do. To be totally open, at the end of 2019, I actually had a miscarriage. So we went through that, I mean, in December. So then 2020 came and it was like, no time to even think about what happened in 2019 and kind of pushed it aside, everything aside that happened. So I feel like it's, I feel like, um. In the summer, like right in the middle of 2020, I felt that God was telling me something about just redeeming me of certain things. And shortly after we found out we were pregnant and I felt like that was definitely something that God was trying to tell me and to just be okay with it, to have faith and just feel the safety and in, in his, you know, comfort. So in 2020, um, while being a challenging year for a lot of aspects of many people's lives, God definitely did show some great faithfulness and really had some breakthrough in my family's life. Um, I was raised in a very liturgical church, 
And when the baskets were passed, whatever cash we had on us, and we, we would do chores and stuff, and for the week's worth of chores, we'd get a quarter. And that quarter went in the baskets. Like, we really never got anything, but it was trying to show um, being generous with what you've been given, which is a good, definitely, lesson on there. And, and everyone who knows this and tries to tithe and, and give offerings, it's hard. Because sometimes, literally, what you're tithing is essentially the exact amount of some bill you need to pay. And then you have that question before you of, do I pay the bill or do I tithe with God? It's It was tricky because as we've been going through this and always trying to get better, trying to get better, for some reason it really clicked in 2020. And we really started buckling down and really became faithful tithers. You know, more often than not, we were having like that, oh, I want to do this. Oh, well, you know, I guess I owe God, and, you know, this much. I got to get caught back up on tithe and it was an obligation to a point. And um, it was one of like a bill where that's just not fun. And it says in the Bible that God loves a cheerful giver. It wasn't at that point. But in 2020, we started becoming faithful, um, not even realizing what a bananas year that was going to be. Um, I was out of work for nine weeks, which was more than somewhat stressful. Um, things arose financially. That wasn't necessarily anything we expected. But God met us there, and God was able to provide throughout that time where, wow, this was this was really difficult for that. And so we were uh, tithing on stimulus. We were tithing on any kind of income um, that we had, and we were really putting faith into that. And God allowed 2020 to be one of our best years financially we've ever had. Uh, it makes no sense how God could do this, but that's just God. He does it, even when it doesn't make sense. Twenty twenty was difficult. Back in two thousand eighteen is when we kind of started to try to have a baby, and we just had some difficulties. We found out that um, Amy had a mass on one of her ovaries and uh, there was a strong possibility that it could be cancerous. Um, so yeah, um, but I believe God and I prayed that Amy would be fine, that it would just be benign, which luckily it was. Um, but the doctor told us in that that really the only way that she was gonna be able to get pregnant is with some help from fertility doctor. I received a major financial blessing from my previous job and um, which was wonderful because Amy and I were looking to do fertility treatments which were very expensive. During the pandemic we were ready to get going on, on treatments but then during the middle of it all treatments were stopped. In April. And then my insurance deductible reset so I didn't know how I was going to pay for this because of how expensive it was. And I just felt so defeated. And then I go from losing my job on a Friday and just kind of being a, a ship without a sail to then coming home on, uh, on Monday and um, Amy like surprising me with all this stuff because she apparently like knew she was pregnant like she ordered a little baby spoon that said what the baby's date was and ordered a little onesie it was incredible like 
I don't have words to explain it because we had a 20% chance of it working, but it also worked on the first time too, which is even, even more incredible because it doesn't work that easily, almost ever. And it's so hard to explain it in any other way other than that it really is a miracle. And it's very hard to wake up every day and have faith that can move a mountain. And that's what you need to get a miracle the size of ours. We live in a world where we expect instant results, like high-speed internet, and when our phone doesn't work, we get all upset and you know, throw down this amazing piece of technology and call it a piece of junk. But all I can say to somebody who's going through that is just give God a chance. Really, what else do you have to lose? And based on my previous record, it's, it's pretty good odds. The support and love from others through God was, was incredible. Like that, that, <laughs> that definitely helped, um, but, you know, push me further and, you know, I can do this. We can, you know, God will provide an answer. And I, I knew in my heart that he would provide and he would allow for this to happen. And I'm so thankful and blessed that it did, <laughs> even with everything happening and Joe losing his job. And, but we just continue to just pray and just have faith that God would, would make it happen. And he did. <laughs>